Hey everyone, welcome to the Magical Stories of Healing and Spiritual Gifts podcast. Uh, I'm David, this is with my lovely wife, Megan. Hey everyone. And we are so excited to bring you a really special guest today, uh, Tucker Max, public speaker, New York Times bestselling author, sold millions of books, successful entrepreneur, and also recently launched a company called Scribe, which we're gonna be talking about in a bit, which helps people write and publish their book. And even though he launched it, he's already working with some pretty big names, including David Goggins. Um, so, man, thanks again. Thanks so much for making some time for us today. This is pretty, pretty surreal for me. Uh, a lot of my buddies in the military and uh, when I was at VMI, you're just, you're huge. You still are. But back then it was just, you were all the rage uh, with yeah. a lot of your writing. So thank yeah, you so no, much for making time. Of course, man. Happy to be on. Awesome. Well, so to start, so the, the magical, just to kind of tell you a little bit about us, the magical stories of healing and spiritual gifts podcast, we interview people from like all over the world that have had like divine, holistic, or alternative or plant medicine based healing experiences from disease, sickness, and trauma. I just feel like there's so much uh, that society goes about wrong when it comes to healing. Um, and it really excited me. I, I read something about, you know, you're, you had some healing work with a shaman and then MDMA based therapy. And we've interviewed some really in, interesting people that have had some similar experiences, but. And I had an yeah. ayahuasca healing. I had like horrible childhood trauma, lots of horrific things and suppressed it. And then later I had all these mystery illnesses. I've been any kind of like conventional, obviously didn't work, you know, did holistic, nothing worked. And ayahuasca in two nights, I, I mean, healed my PTSD, it's gone. Um, all of my popping joints, everything's gone. So like we are huge believers in, you know, this kind of plant medicine. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But, but before we get into that with you, something I did want to note that's like always impressed me about you and, you know, I've been in the personal development space for over a decade now, and a lot of the people I help have, there's so much conditioning out there. And one of the biggest aspects of conditioning that, at least from what we've noticed, you just don't have an issue with, or, and is this concept of, you know, we were, as we're raised, we're taught to put all of our uh, feelings about ourselves and their value in other people's opinions. And it seems like you've just not, you, you don't think that way at all. You've not cared what people thought. You've always been so authentic throughout your journey. I was curious if you could just speak on that. Have you always been that way or is that something you've had to work on? Well, um, so uh, I had pretty uh, traumatic childhood in a lot of ways, not not sexual or physical abuse, but um, just a lot of loneliness and a lot of abandonment. And I always tell people that my parents gave me two things. They gave me a really cool name. You know, like Tucker Max is my actual <laughs> real name. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? And and they were so bad at being parents, they didn't mix in any love with the um, bad parenting, right? And like uh, in a lot of ways, I feel like the people that, that have it the worst are the ones who, if you have great parents, that's awesome. That's amazing, right? And if you have a bad parents, that's not so great, but I actually think it's better to have bad parents who you can identify as being bad parents than having parents who mix in love with the bad parents, right? And I don't mean imperfect parents because all parents are imperfect, right? I'm talking about like abusive. Like if they're, they're really abusive, but they mix in just enough love that you conflate love and abuse, right? And my parents were so... They weren't bad people. They were just really bad at being parents. 
And so I learned just almost intuitively, um, I had to at a very young age, that the adults were not coming to save me. Wow. And that I had, and that they didn't know what they were doing. My parents were so messed up that it was easy for me to see at a young age that they were just like, they didn't know what the hell was going on, <laughs> right? And so as I grew up, I didn't expect adults to know what the hell was going on. And I didn't expect them to come save me. And I didn't expect them, you know, I didn't care about their opinions because the two, all the adults close to me were so screwed up and had such worthless opinions. And I'm like, okay, I don't need to worry about what they think. You know, like, cause I know I've seen behind the curtain and I know that there's like, like I'll give you a really good, my wife, her mom, her mom was uh, in most ways a really good mom. But one of the things that, that uh, my mother-in-law did with, uh, when she was you know younger, when my wife was very young, was really talk about how much, oh, well, what will other people think, right? <laughs> and so like, like, whereas like my parents never, I, they may have said that, but I'm like, like it never entered into my mind that I needed to care about this. So it's like, they were so screwed up. It's like, I just learned early on. Okay, uh, they don't, I don't have to care what anyone else thinks and no one else knows what they're doing. So I'll just go <laughs> do my thing. That is such an interesting perspective because so many people, they go up thinking, this is the way it is and I have to care. You just had that traumatic, you know, that actually ties in. You had a quote, I'm gonna pull it up here. It was so good on your um, Instagram. It says, uh, lesson I've learned, if I see trauma as there to help me grow, then it does. If I see it as a wound, that's what it becomes. My relationship to trauma is a story. I can choose the wound story or another. And it's because it, so many people could see that and be like, oh, my parents were horrible. Like, this is why I'm messed up. This, but you're like, well, shit, that actually is why I don't care what people think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. The, you don't get to pick. So a lot of people misinterpret that quote you don't get to pick your facts, right? Like my parents did certain things to me. They left me alone for long periods. They weren't there in the way that I needed, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't, I don't get to pick that, right? I don't get to create a fantasy in my head about who my, you know, my dad was actually Mr. Rogers or whatever, like that didn't happen, right? <laughs> right, right. But I get to tell my, I get to choose what story I tell myself about those facts right that's the key thing and so like it's not Pollyanna like I'm not being like no no everything with my childhood was great no man I, right. I want to get past my trauma and if you've done plant medicines you understand this if I want to get my past my trauma the only way past it is through it you've got yeah. to feel just, that and then yeah. you've got to let that go but but yeah. like it's easy to get stuck in that and I live people, in the victim mindset, so I get it for many years. Yeah. Right. I, I and so the people that get stuck are the ones that, that that's their mindset. This was done to me. I am a passive recipient of my life instead of I am an active creator of what my life is. I mean the same trauma, you yep. can be a hero or a victim, you choose. Yeah. Dude, that's 100%, that's yeah. that's powerful. Um so something else I love that you said too. There was, I think it was the the Art of Charm podcast. They asked a question, and your response was just bomb. And it, it was so important to that. That they said something like, you know, what did you know? How did you go from boy to man? And you were like, well, no, that's that's not the case. Like, 
that time, that was who I authentically was. And that was necessary for all my growth. Like those things you go through, I had to do that. And that's who I was. And it's not like there was this transition. It's just those lessons were all necessary for me. And that's who I was. And now I'm just someone different now. You know, I love mm -hmm. that. And I was it, from your 20s to where you are now. And, you know, if you could think of like a couple big lessons you pulled out of your 20s that are, have been instrumental for you now looking back, could you tell me what a couple of those would be? Oh, man, my 20s. Because, man, um, you rose. You you just shot up and so many people that would have just rocked. But you, you see, you managed that so well, it seemed like. Yeah, I mean, don't don't compare your inside to my outside. Yeah, and don't yeah. assume that my outside reflects my inside. Yeah, right? yep. that, that's another. That's probably not a lesson I learned in my twenties. It's probably a lesson I really learned in my thirties. But mm -hmm. that's um, that's a big one, man. Like that's a big lesson that I learned from from fame, was how screwed up everyone in that game was, and mm -hmm. how corrupt and dysfunctional and toxic every piece of that game was. Mm -hmm. It was. Like you, you think you understand from the outside, but you don't really understand until you get into it, like how awful almost all parts of it are. And, um, and I honestly don't think that I managed it very well. Uh, and I think that was actually the lesson I had to learn. Um, I mean, we'll see, man, cause I'm only 44, right. but, um, I feel like, uh, that my my biggest notoriety and that my most significant fame has yet to come and i it appears to me now and i could be wrong man you never know right but it appears to me now that my first kind of uh, uh, uh set of my career was essentially training for the second set right and that um that all of i had to learn all of the lessons of fame and i had to make all of the mistakes because like I'm, you know, like you know the saying, an, an idiot repeats their mistakes. A, a smart man learns from his mistakes, and a, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. I wasn't wise in my twenties and <laughs> I didn't learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> and every mistake that I made, someone told me was coming, and usually even in a kind way. If I had <laughs> been in the right emotional space, I could. I knew I was told this was coming, and I could have avoided it. But I, I wasn't, um, I, I hadn't worked through any of my trauma, any of my stuff. And so my first shot up the charts was really almost a reaction against all my stuff, right? And that's why so many people find it hard to stay on top once they get there, because what got them there was dysfunction and dysfunction pushes you over. Wow. And so um, I feel like um, what I've done since well, is integrate all those lessons, not just from fame, but from, I had to go through, I had to go back through all of my trauma. I still am, and I still have a few more really big pieces to go. Uh, it'll, like, the healing will never end, but at some point it becomes more enlightenment than it is healing on a medicine journey. And for, for me, it's still mainly healing, although I feel like I may have gone through the biggest bulk, I'm not sure, uh, but it's definitely, whatever it is, I'm still predominantly healing. When that phase shifts from predominantly healing to predominantly enlightenment, um, or mind expansion, whatever you want to call it, I don't mean enlightenment in a Buddhist sense, then um, uh, I think I'm going to end up becoming way more famous than I was the first time around. But this time, 
I'll be ready to manage it properly. I'll be humble. I'll understand that I am just a vessel for a message and the message isn't me. That's, that's it. I got, that's it. I'll, I'll understand um, sort of how to manage uh, ego, how to work with it. Um, I'll, I'll hopefully have left all my narcissism behind, all that sort of stuff. Like, And so that's, that's the way I see it, man. Dude, you're in such an awesome, I'm like genuinely excited for your story because you're in such a cool part of it. You know, the, the impact, uh, I'm all about impact and the impact, like you, you said it yourself, the impact you can have that can be massive when you're on this journey, which kind of segues perfect into the trauma. So, you know, if, you know, so a huge part of your trauma was just neglect and just lack of love as a child, right? Yep. And w when did you feel it started affecting you? When did you start like feeling the effects of it, would you say? If I had been awake, I would have started feeling the effects right away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but as a kid, it's hard to do that, man. As a kid, um, when it, it, abandoned children can't usually do anything except push that emotion down Suppressing. in a way to survive because they have no empathic witnesses. They have no way that they don't have the skills or the ability to work through that, right? And so, um, so then you grow up and, you know, like, uh, I, I didn't have to work through a lot of busting my parents' narrative because, like I said, they never pretended they were great. You know, most right. people who have p terrible parents, a huge part of their journey is, is um, unpacking the lie that their parents have hoisted on them. So yeah. my parents never dumped those lies on me, or if they did, they were very small. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they were really easy to shed. So I think I started, if you actually go read my books again, I wrote them from approximately like 27 to 31, 32 are the bulk, uh, actually 27 to 34 uh, are the bulk, uh, pretty much all of it, between those periods. And if you even look the first, like, beer, I hope this is Beer and Hell, which I wrote mainly in age 29 or so, about half of 27, 28, 29. You can see all the underlying jokes and pain. It's all there. And it's actually not far from the surface. <laughs> it's like, it's not the first or second level of commentary, but it's a clear third level of commentary. It's the stuff where I'm like, look, like, I know this is fucked up. I know I'm messed up. I know I'm in pain, but, um, I'm not dealing. I'm not gonna deal with it right now. I'm dealing with it this way that I know is not working, but it's right. fun. It right, reminds right. me of the, of the, of the St. Augustine quote: um, uh, "Dear Lord, give me uh, chastity and continence, but not yet." You know, like, <laughs> right. when I was going through that phase, that's kind of where I was, right? Yeah. And and I, but I was I was mildly self-aware in a joking way about it. But I, I do. At no point did I stop and feel anything. Yeah. In yeah. any stretch, I couldn't, because if I had, the whole house of cards would have collapsed. Wow, that's awesome, man! I, I get that, Megan. Uh, all the childhood trauma she went through was suppressed for years and like over thirty years of just all these after effects from it. Uh, and boy, did I feel it! Oh man, ayahuasca was it's like a holy sci-fi movie, man. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you took the steps to start healing before before uh the story with the shaman before the uh, mdma based therapy what what did you try like from a uh, western medicine perspective what'd you try and then why did it work did it not work yeah so um uh, I, uh, I started with well okay 
So I, I, the day I, I knew I was going to have to go get help was the day that my movie came out and I realized it wasn't going to do well, it was going to bomb, and that kind of cracked my grandiosity. I knew that day I was going to have to start doing stuff. But it still, it took me a long time. And the first things I focused on, of course, were external things. For sure. Right? I got it. I got in immaculate shape, 8% body fat, I was ripped. <laughs> like everything in my life was perfect, money set up. Like I had everything fine externally, right? Yeah. And, um, and then I was still you know pretty miserable better than before but still pretty miserable and so it's like okay this isn't working so what you know and then i you know made a bunch of money and other things that didn't make me happy i did all the nothing none of that made me happy eventually i was like okay if if everything external is working and i'm not happy then it the only thing left is me and so i started um uh, psychotherapy like talk therapy and I started uh, psychoanalysis, which is just like a specific form of talk therapy. Um, and I went intense, man. I was going four days a week for four years. Like I was, like I, I packed a lot in. And um, I tried everything else, man. Yoga, uh, whatever, chanting, all that nonsense. None of it worked. <laughs> like I, like I, nothing against any of these therapeutic modalities, because some of them work wonders for people. But like EMDR did nothing for me. There were not and therapy uh talk therapy was really good i found i had to go through about 10 20 therapists before i found a good one but once i found one the thing she enabled me to get was a map of my emotions and my mind and ma a map's really important the problem was where she didn't she wasn't able to get me because i just wasn't ready i wasn't willing to do it um so it's not really her fault it's mine um, was I didn't I still wasn't feeling any of it right so the, the analogy I use is a map of Manhattan is really useful but it's not the experience of walking the island of Manhattan like there's no map that can tell you what it's like to walk the island yeah it's just a map right yep. and so that's what talk therapy was a map but maps listen if you get dropped into Manhattan with no map you it's really <laughs> you get lost and disorienting so you yeah. kind of need both right mm -hmm. and so talk therapy was fantastic for me the, the final year of it, I started meditating with it, and that actually accelerated my growth a lot. And I ended up stopping talk therapy because it was working so well along with meditation. And then I kind of stopped meditation, I think because I was starting to get deep emotionally, and I just wasn't willing or ready to kind of dive into it. Then I met this energy worker, and I worked with her for a while. And she was pretty good at the beginning, and then got less and less effective until she was not that effective. Uh, then I tried a bunch of other stuff and nothing worked. And then um, I did, I had friends of mine, pretty famous ones, some of them, uh, who had been telling me for years to do plant medicines. And um, I was resistant. I, I, I can remember intellectually the conversations, but like I just was not hearing them. And there was one <laughs> other person I know pretty well, who's named, named you a know, who talks about ayahuasca all the time. And I know him really well. And I'm like, dude, you are fucked up man like you, are, <laughs> you are so fucked up that if you told me to eat i would starve so oh, no God. i'm not doing ayahuasca so like, that just know? tainted ayahuasca like crazy for you it did i still okay. haven't done ayahuasca okay you know? totally but like uh eventually a guy in my gut we did a book called trust surrender receive which is on amazon mm -hmm. and by uh written by this woman and other which is obviously a pseudonym but she's a, a um, an MDMA-assisted therapist. Like, she does this. She's been guiding people for decades. And uh, did this book, uh, case studies of a bunch of her clients. Um, and uh, the guy who worked on the book in my company did a therapy with her. 
and loved it and would not uh like he didn't brag about it or he didn't yell about it he did the exact right thing he just lived the change and i could see the change in him he's like he's not crazy so (laughs) right i I know him really well but like he the thing that so many people do wrong they'll do one or two sessions and they won't shut up about plant medicine which is bad for two reasons one because they probably haven't done their work they just started it but also because anytime someone's trying to push something on you, it means they're either trying to sell you something or they're insecure about their decision, right? And so the immediate like like reaction is, okay, you're trying to sell me this, I don't want it, right? Yeah. yeah. And so um, he wasn't doing that. I just saw the difference, and I was like, this is all from MDMA. He's like, yeah, man. And I was like, all right, I'm in. And so set up a session with Ann, and man, uh, I don't know if you guys have done MDMA uh, therapy, but the um, dude, the second, not the second I took the medicine, obviously it takes about 45 minutes, but the second it hit, I think it was about 10 or 15 minutes after the second dose. So call it an hour 15, hour and a half in, it hit. And I was just like, oh man. Like, I mean, every, like I wrote about it in my piece. If any of your listeners just Google Tucker Max MDMA and I wrote a big long piece about great my, yeah. my, my first two sessions. And um, I mean, I felt the deepest love of her. I didn't know I could feel emotions like that. Mm-hmm. And I felt they all came, the positive mm-hmm. ones first. And then like, of course I went into defensive mode and I was like talking and all this. But then once I, I got recentered, um, my guys and my wife recentered me and dude, then all the trauma started coming up and for me it doesn't come up intellectually i think either either my brain won't let me see it intellectually or it's it was all so young and so pre-verbal that that it doesn't code that way i don't know the answer but most of it was somatic so meaning like i'm i was shaking i imagine like a seizure but like a very slow lazy seizure right i mean i was shaking (laughs) legs arms mostly legs and arms not like a my, my full body right just legs and arms just shaking just like this right over and over it was all this and the sweating my god man i looked like i had been caught in the rain at the end of the thing i was and that was just my first session the second Shit. one was 10 times more intense because i knew what was coming because i surrendered more to it i let this stuff come up yeah yeah and um that was also I like it was yeah dude it was super intense so I did about it took me about four I think five MDMA sessions to get through just the somatic release man like I had way more trauma than I realized wow and um like I knew it but again that's a map versus territory right Mm -hmm. like I you see a map of Manhattan you don't realize how long that island is you can walk forever (laughs) to be at the top it's 190 blocks or whatever (laughs) So I had no idea how much trauma I had. So four or five sessions, by the fifth session, it kind of, it was weird, it just stopped. Like right in the middle of the session. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, and then I was like all white, which I thought meant I was through my trauma. Come to, now, that was a year ago. Come to find out what that meant was my ego had stopped there and would not let me go any deeper, right? Um, Because I've, gone subsequently gone substantially deeper i had a lot more trauma believe that but that the cool thing about mdma is that it's your friend right so it's soft and gentle and so that's why it's the best place to start for almost everybody but uh uh you know there's some exceptions if you're on ssris or whatever etc but um mdma is the best place for most people to start the problem with mdma is that it's your friend that like if you have a strong ego structure like i do 
like I, I you can basically fight it, right? And, and so, even though I was telling myself I was surrendering to a point I was, and then there came a point when my ego was like, no more. And so then I went back, you know, all the friends of mine who've been telling me I should do this for a while, they were pretty well connected in the underground plant medicine scene. I got connected into some very sophisticated, very skilled people in this scene. And so I've, um, you know, like kind of mentors of mine. And, um, and so they've kind of helped me progress. From there I did, I found a mushroom shaman who does nice. just, just mushrooms trained with the Mazatec Indians. Like this, this dude really understands. He got to know me well, we got to know each other um, and did a mushroom session. And it took, nice. it took eight and a half grams for me to break oh, through my ego. That's a heroic yeah. trip, man. Oh dude, that's, that's way a heroic, more. Yeah, that's no, way no. more. Hero dose is five. Five. <laughs> A heroin dose is a seven and a half. I did eight and a half. Cool. And he said that that wasn't even the worst, man. He's like, I've had people I had to go to thirteen. They're like, I'm like, seriously? Oh my god! I know, How's right? So, uh, dude, uh, seriously, I, it was it was crazy, man. Like, I don't really even talk about what happened in that trip because unless you've done psychedelics, everything I'm gonna say just sounds crazy. Absolutely. It does. Absolutely. And it's like, it's just, you're talking nonsense. It's like talking about sex with a virgin. It's a total waste of time. <laughs> so uh, nonetheless, I, I had an extraordinarily profound spiritual experience that reorganized my whole worldview on almost everything. And so then after that, I did several mushroom sessions, but I, I went way down. I was generally my working dose now is three to three and a half grams. So um, once you kill the ego with mushrooms, not that my ego has gone, just meaning once you break through, then it takes much lower doses to get similar effects. Um, then, uh, uh, so after a while, uh, it's not that mushrooms weren't good. It's just that they do a certain thing well. Uh, but another person who knows me well recommended that I try LSD. And again, obviously therapeutically, like I don't know how people do this shit and go to concerts and stuff, man. That's like mind blowing to me through this recreationally. But I, I did an LSD, I combined LSD and MDMA, you know, with a guy who knows what he's doing. It was, that was, and it was not much LSD. It was like 100 or 150 micrograms of LSD, which is a fairly small amount. Um, and that with a normal amount of MDMA, like 180 milligrams. And dude, it was the most intense thing I have ever felt uh, wow. to that point. It was more intense than the eight and a half grams of mushrooms. Because no. LSD, dude, LSD is no joke, man. LSD is like, it rips the veneer off of reality and it shoves reality in your face. And I love that, except man, it's intense, dude. Yeah. It is no joke. Yeah. And so then I did about two or three of those sessions. Um, and then then I hit the mother load, man. I hit, like I got, again, I got to a point where like ego still for me, because my ego and my identity were so wrapped up because that, that was my defense as a kid was mm -hmm. most people identify with their parents. So I identified with myself, so my ego. And so um, I did a ketamine session and ketamine, will kill if ketamine doesn't kill you you're gonna nothing can because that's dissociative it's what it does dude yeah. it was the craziest thing man i did the ketamine right and like it things get go pixelated and then black and white and then pure black and you get cold you feel like you're going down an underground river and uh i wasn't quite going into a k-hole but i know why people call it that right, right. it makes sense so <laughs> Like I heard, I thought it was my, me. I heard these, these four things in my head. They tricked you. The, uh, this is your new reality. You can't leave. 
you're gonna die. Oh, god. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) But I had a very good guy, different guy than the very good guy um, who specializes in in this, uh, uh, it was ketamine and a few other medicines, but ketamine was the main one. And um, I, uh, I, I like, I, I had been practicing letting go and surrender. There's a book called Letting Go by David Hawkins, which you have, if you have not read, I would highly recommend. It's basically okay. been my guide for psychedelics, for okay. plant medicines, is letting go. It's not about that at all. It's just kind of how he recommends um, approaching emotions. And so I'm like, I'm gonna surrender and let go. And I did, and it was crazy intense. And then I came out, man, and I had like the, the strongest somatic release I've ever had all kinds of shit that like it broke through my ego and it took me a couple days to realize that wasn't me saying that that was my ego because (laughs) my ego has convinced me that it's me right Right. and so that's why and like your ego's job is to keep you safe and the main way it keeps you safe is keeping you the same right and that's why like it was like Fucking, it's telling me I'm gonna die because it was dying. Right. And right. so it assumes it's me, but it's not me. It's oh. just a piece of me, and it's an important piece of me. But right. what psychedelics do, uh, it, uh, what they can do, is uh, they they repress or they, they they kill or or cleave off that part so that the full you can come up, right? Okay. And then when you come, exactly. And then, of course, your ego comes back to some way, but it's never the same, and it's always weaker, and now you have an opportunity to kind of rebuild the self with an ego in a proper, healthy place as opposed to dominating uh, who you are, which if you have trauma, it's almost always like an egoic response is one of the ways that, that even if if you're very passive and you let people use you in a weird way, that's that's your ego. that, that's a narcissistic response, which I can explain later. Anyway, so I did that. That was the last thing I've done. That was uh, about three months ago. Wow. And that was so powerful. I've done almost nothing since then. The other thing I've done now, because um, I have a whole integration practice. I have a, a dude I talk to once a month um, who's like uh, this guy, Philip McKernan. You might have heard of him. He's uh, like a, a probably the best mindset like type coach. Um, we I talk to him once a month and then I see an energy uh, worker, this woman, Christina Allen in Austin, at the Austin Shamanic Center. Oh, cool. She's incredibly powerful. I mean, like she does energy work, not medicine, yeah. right? Yep, yep. Um, but I consider all, like talk therapy and uh, energy work with a good energy worker as essentially a part of, a, of what's called integration. So yeah. most people who are now experimenting with psychedelics are not really understanding that the psychedelics don't do any of your work for you. They just open you up and they create a space for you to do more work. And then I also go to an acupuncturist, Cindy Nilsson at Alive and Well. Um, those are my, that's my, uh, those are my kind of, uh, along with, you know, I work out, I eat well, I sleep eight hours a night. Um, I like, I meditate, I do those things because like all they, all these medicines do is give you the opportunity to get to know yourself, to learn about yourself, and to help yourself heal so that you can become the person you want to be. Dude, there's so many things to that. Uh, first off, um, so I had, uh, in New- I lived in New York City, I was doing medical sales, and my big thing was binge drinking. I was a huge, I was a big time partier up there, party promoting, binge drinking, and binge drinking was always my issue. I tried all of society's ways, nothing worked. 
LSD changed the game for me. LSD was instrumental in, I had this crazy trip one time where I went inside my head, saw my like, I saw my addiction and like had kind of a fight with it and then deeply realized it was this powerful escape I was using. And ba anyway, nothing is decided. LSD gave me the opportunity to rewire my mind. Then meditation, affirmations, all the integration work you're talking about was essential. LSD was a game changer for me. It's interesting because there's, people are getting to the point where they're trying, they've tried everything else. So they're trying these alternative medicines, just like you mentioned. And I love everything you said, because uh, something I'm so passionate about is trying to destroy the stigma around psychedelics, the stigma around these alternative medicines. So let, let me ask you, um, uh, you know what AA is obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, it's 12, it's 12 steps, right? Yep. Do you know what? There were supposed to be 13. I did not know that. Yeah. So there's a, there's a whole book about this. Do you know what the 13th step was? I, I don't. L S D. Shut what? What? I'm serious. Go I look it up. Know this. No, I believe you. That's yeah. amazing. I did Google Bill W. LSD. He kicked, he kicked alcoholism with LSD. What? This is, yeah, that's the, mind blowing the, for me. The, the board of directors of AA ended what? up deciding to cut that off of the steps. <laughs> now, th this is like a, this is not a debatable, this is not like some conspiracy theory. You can no, find yeah. all. Like it's on Wikipedia, it's everywhere wow. else. It's like, yeah. Dude, the crazy thing is too, not to go off a different tangent, but dude, for years now, my family doesn't talk to me because I turned to psychedelics, even though like the alcoholism has gone. I haven't drank in years now, but because yeah. of that stigma, I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. Also, yeah, um, man, you know, on another time, I'd love to connect. I don't, you may already know. Do you, have you heard of Michael Zappelin? Zappy. So he's the filmmaker for Reality of Truth. It's an ayahuasca documentary. Him and Jerry Powell. Jerry Powell's the CEO of Rhythmia. It's like the largest ayahuasca. I, I know Rhythmia, yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a movement right now um, around ketamine. And uh, Michael Zaplin's like, he he, he he got rich because he bought like uh, beer.com for 80,000 and sold it for like 8 million. And then he made all this money and then found he was still unhappy, found ayahuasca. And then years later, his journeys led him to ketamine. And he's on a movement right now to, um, to s cut suicide by 75%. And he thinks the key with that is ketamine. So he has this whole movement now where he's getting all these uh, players together to help fund ketamine for starting with veterans, but other people too that need it. So it's so interesting you say ketamine. We That's something we actually didn't have a knowledge about until we got connected with um, Michael Zappelin. And you know we're talking, we're interviewing Jerry from the seat of Rhythmia in a bit, but it's so interesting. Ketamine came up again. That's what I'm trying next, because like you said, like. You know, I got a lot of healing in two nights, but there's a lot of layers. So yeah. So hold on. Have you only done ayahuasca? Well, no, oh, I've done a bunch of psychedelics. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I'm not, like, I'll just tell you guys. In my experience, I, I've been in this journey about 18 months, right? So uh, like, I'm I'm a baby at this, um, and I I just through weird sets of coincidences. I know a lot of the players, like the real players who've been doing this 20, 30 years, 40 years, some of them, right? And um, 
this is one of those things where it's amazing that you guys like I can't I agree to come on your podcast obviously it's amazing that you guys want to talk about this and I think more people should talk about this I'll just tell you in my experience the best thing to do is never ever try and persuade anyone to yeah. do this and never tell anyone even in a broad sense everyone should do this no 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 never no it's, right yeah. the best thing you can do though is talk about your own experience yes. just open and honest and and even when you're like places like okay like say i'm on my like i'm on my journey i'm only 18 months in you know uh, but like, and I talk about it that way. I don't act like I'm some expert. I don't pretend that I know everything. And that actually, I don't know, but for sure. But I would estimate that there's been hundreds of people who have started on this journey because of me, not because I told them to though. They, right. They've started on it because they knew who I was. They understand, they, they had an idea of who I was, right? Even if they don't know me directly. Um, Although plenty of them know me directly, but then they saw the changes in me and it was like what they thought was, fuck, that's what I want. What I want is what he has got. So authentic. It's authentic. But the only way you can do it, if you try and sell this stuff, first off, it sounds ridiculous and fantastical, right? Because it's like, come on, I'm going to go talk to machine elves. Fuck off. Right. 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 Of course. That's very specific and right. (laughs) <laughs> tells you where I've been on some yeah, of these journeys, right? right? right, right. <laughs> um, uh, but then beyond that, it's been, it, but then beyond that, it sounds too good to be true. Yeah. But most important, the people that it will attract, the ones who will do it because they're like, well, he told me I should, are not ready. Yes, yes. They're not ready, dude. I had, I could have done this easily five years before I did. <laughs> and uh, And I mean, like, I had people I knew and trusted telling me, Hey, you should consider this, right? And I, I remember I couldn't, like, it's the weirdest thing. I remember the conversations and I can't recall emotionally connect. It's like they, it was like the tra- teacher and Charlie Brown, wah, 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 yeah. wah, wah, Yeah. Right? And the reason is because I wasn't ready. And I'll tell you, dude, like, I, 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 I have seen this mistake firsthand. One of my best, best friends, um, uh, I, I didn't push him. I didn't think I was trying, like persuading him or anything like that, but he ended up doing MDMA um, because of me, right? Because like, I knew he needed it and he did, and I knew it would help him and it would, and I felt like he was ready. And so like, I just made it real easy on him and kind right. of set up the day, let's do this. Like, like I didn't put any obstacles in the way, even small ones, right? Yep. And so, and, uh, and I was there with the sitter had I not been there, he would have broken the door down and ran home. And like, this was 20 miles away from his house. Like he wasn't ready. He had like, like he's fine. It was not a, like a true worst case scenario. Cause he didn't have a mental break or anything, but like it brought up a lot of stuff that he was not ready for. And, um, uh, it was it was bad, dude. And, and like I had to, use, me and the guide had to use every piece of skill we had to. I'd use my relationship with him, and the guide had to use all his skill to keep him centered and get him through that. Right. And 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 it was not the medicine that gave him a bad trip, but that's the definition of a bad trip is when things come up that you're not ready for. Yes. If you, but if you go to the medicine saying, okay, I'm ready to start my healing, I'm ready to face some stuff. 
in, you have gone in, it, it's voluntarily, and it's a totally different orientation than if you're just, oh, well, it sounds cool, other people are doing it, my buddy told me I should do it. Right. Then it's a fucking shitstorm that you are not ready for. Yeah. And so, like, that's always what I tell people. Like, okay, I'll get, like, um, I don't, you know, refer uh, everybody, but, like, friends of mine who come to me who want to find a guy, then a lot of times, like, like I'll talk to them first, and I'm, uh, if I feel like they're ready, then I don't even ever say. I, I make them say, okay, what are next steps? Can you, I make them ask me for the interview. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I never offer, and I never send without an ask. But I don't connect them to guys I know. Like, I know guys all around the country. I don't connect them. I say, they, they say, okay, I definitely want a guide. And if I think they're ready, then I will send them the email to, to uh, and I'll say, you reach out. Right. And then and then I'll give them the code words too. Like, you, you tell them, I sent you, tell them you're asking for this specific thing and they'll know what you're asking for. And then, so they've got to send the email and then they got to set up the call with the guy. They got to get on with the guy. So there's, it's not a big barrier, right. but it's enough that they've got to consciously multiple times make a decision. Awesome. I am initiating my healing journey because if people don't do that, I have seen it over and over, man. Not just my friend. There's a couple other times. If they don't initiate their healing journey, it's not going to be very effective. Best case scenario, worst case scenario, a real fucking shitstorm happens. And, and like the last thing anyone wants right now is people doing this work that aren't oh, ready because right. because it's still mostly underground yeah and there's still the, the integration yep. and support systems mostly have not been built that will be once it's legalized to so much right. yeah. and the worst fucking thing that could happen is all these fucking people losing their fucking minds because yep. they aren't ready right dude that's yeah, i i appreciate and I, that. I do appreciate that because i'm actually dealing with this so it's really ironic that you're telling it me this really like, just, ironic. This, just this morning i have a friend that man she needs it you know like she needs healing but it's she's not ready and like i needed to hear this so yeah. dude, thank the, you the, I, I really appreciate this is very i it's crazy synchronistic you're saying this because our movement's blowing up over yeah. it it's just this and is so synchronistic people, but like with her i felt like i felt like i, I wanted i love to. that barrier thing that's such a genius yeah move. yeah no let me tell you seriously listen to this this is because i learned this the hard way and yeah, yeah. it was not that hard of a lesson no one got hurt what's right. funny is my friend a year later has come back around and now he he I, he came. He's like, I want to do it. I made him ask me three times. <laughs> You're like, hold on, buddy. Yeah. No, but I didn't even tell him. I didn't even tell him that. I just said, he's like, I think I'm ready. I'm like, cool. That's excellent. I'm happy for you. I didn't even bring it up. And then he came back. He's like, Tucker, I think maybe I think maybe it's time. I'm like, oh, awesome, man. I'm really glad that this worked out for you. You know, like, cool. No, seriously. And then the third time, he's like, all right, dude, I want to set a date. Do it. I'm like, okay, all right. That's what I wanted to hear, right? And yeah, no, because seriously, made, I made him really, uh, uh, because like, I'm not going to make the same mistake. But this, you can't, I think this is actually, as messed up as AA can be in some ways, this is a saying that I think they have. You can't um, not drink for anyone else, you know? You can't do anyone else's work for them. And like, it's a testament to, you know, like how caring uh, you are that you really want to help people. But it is also narcissism and ego to push this on other people. Because I've, I've seen, I, I know in me, when I find myself pushing this on someone, it's almost always because there is something about them 
that it reminds me of some healing I haven't done. Ooh. And so I'm like, oh, interesting. all right, I'm pushing this on her because she reminds me of this part of me. I need to go work on my shit. Dude, that's and the enlightenment. Like, that's 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 such a powerful piece of the enlightenment you're talking about, man. Yeah. Huge. Just understand that trying to push this on other people is you projecting your lack of healing on them. Yeah, even if, good. even My if they need it. My mentor says that all the time. That's Your mentor's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. so good, and and it's crazy. It's it's a picture in my mind now. I literally remember leaving our ceremony and the shaman's like, hey, something I'm gonna tell you about where I messed up. When I first started discovering this years and years ago, I would like tell people about it. And they would have a horrible experience. It has to call to them right. in a certain way. So that's- Why that's, I haven't done ayahuasca. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's smart, it's, uh, yeah. I've never felt the call. I'm not gonna do it just because I think I'm supposed to, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it ain't fun, so. <laughs> What are you What are you doing now, man? I, mean, I know you just had that recent experience. Um, are what What are you uh, for for healing modalities? Where are you at now? Where are you? Well, like so so the only constant in my life is integration, mm -hmm. right? All the things. So you know, twice a month, you know, to my uh, energy worker, Christina, once a month, talking to my guy, uh, you know, like uh, uh, working out. I do uh, MMA, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu workout, sleeping, cold tubs. Like I go to sauna, float tank twice a week. Like I do a lot of shit because I'm really trying to uh, to like get this right, and so I'm testing a lot of things, seeing you know what, what's best. But the things that are absolute uh, always energy worker, talk therapy, lots of sleep, eating well, and working out. Those five never change, right? Nice. Um, in terms of medicine, I'm honestly not sure right now. Uh, I actually am talking to one of my main mentors next week. He's going to be in Austin for something else, and so. We're gonna sit down and see what medicine may make sense, um, but I'll tell you, it, probably I'm gonna do one or two more sessions with. I found both mushrooms and LSD to be amazing tools, mm -hmm. and those tools, depending on dosage, uh, are just fantastic. Oh, and I yeah. think I have a, probably a couple more rounds, uh, especially LSD combined with MDMA is really just a fantastic way to go deep, but to like to heal what comes up. Uh, I'll tell you the next uh, uh, like level up medicine that I'm gonna go to. I'm almost positive it's gonna be five meo DMT. <laughs> that's um, what I that's did. What that, her. That's what gave me the healing. Like it was mixed. Like seventy percent. I'm, I'm talking went yeah. deep and it was terrifying and I was yeah. convulsed. It looked like I was having a seizure. Like you were talking <laughs> about. Like I was listening to you and I was like, oh my god, yes, yes, yes. That was that was trauma coming Ooh. out. There's, so I'm trying to get through most of my trauma before I do five meo. Oh like, yeah. Uh, five meo is a rough way to deal with trauma. Just like ayahuasca is a rough way. You can. You can do it. Those are just very rough ways to deal with trauma. Yes. I would rather I would use them. I would rather use them to get to the final layers of the ego cracking and the final yeah. deep layers of facing my shadow and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to like the, the, the higher level. If I can clear it out with mushrooms and LSD and MDMA, I'm going to clear it out with that. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. We're going back um, in April to do three more ceremonies. And I'm like, I'm hoping at this point. She got about 70% healing. I'm hoping I got, yeah, right. There. I'd love to get like clarity and things like that. But man, she kicked my ass for sure. But in a good that way. Works. Yeah, in a great way. The great. last thing I'll ask you real quick, because we ask every person this, is if you could leave the world with one message, what would it be? 
I don't have anything better than the same thing that Jesus, Jesus and Buddha said. Everything you need is inside of you. Oh, I love that. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within, and Buddha said all you need you have. I can't improve on that message. Dude, and I love that because that's another freaking insane conditioning thing that we've been rocked with uh, with this road. Because uh, both of our families, not, not down talking to them. If it works for them, that's great. Right. And so many people are conditioned for this control fear-based thing. So I love that you said that because it's all within. It's not a freaking white bearded man in the sky. It's within. I mean, it's in the fucking Bible. The kingdom of heaven is within. I'm telling you, man, like I'm not, I wasn't, it's funny. I wasn't religious. Like I was an atheist. And the, after the first mushroom session, I'm like, I got to reconsider that. <laughs> I like, love that. I and love then, that. no, and then after this, the first LSD session, it was like, Oh, of course. I, I, I like obviously God exists. I'm not sure that the religious conception is right, but like right. conceive of God as an uh, of a of an uh, all pervasive energy of love. Absolutely, no doubt. Right. And the funny thing is, it showed you the same. Just like, dude, you already know this. You read because I read the Bible in college in my kid yeah. class. The ki- this is what the kingdom of heaven is within means, and I'm like, oh. Fuck! It's always been. I had no idea what it was talking about, and now it makes total sense. And there's plant medicine in the Bible. There's plant oh, medicine in the Bible. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. we have scripture in our book that we're, we're talking to scribe about. Uh, there's right, plant it, medicine in the Bible. If you guys want to do something, see something crazy, go read. There's a book called Food of the Gods by Terrence McKenna. I love Ter- Terrence McKenna. I so, have you read Food of the Gods? I haven't, but I know the concept, but I yeah, love so, Terrence McKenna. So yep. food, of the, food of the Gods is the argument, Terrence McKenna's argument. He calls yep. it the stoned ape hypothesis. Yes, yes. That psilocybin is what basically made us human. Uh, like, I understand anthropology, I know anthropology and physics really well. I read that and I was like, fuck, man. Like, I'm not sold this is absolutely the case, right. but it's an extraordinarily strong case, man. Right. Yeah, Michael Zappelin, in his reality and truth film, he he wrote a book with Deepak Chopra, and he was talking about how his whole argument is that there's psychedelics right there in the Bible. Like, they're, yeah. they're in there. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, man, yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, stop it there. Thank you again so, so much for coming on, man. I truly appreciate it. It's been so cool talking with you. Um, yeah, but I, it works. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Don't lecture uh, about the change. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yes, I love that. Thanks Thank so you. much, Tucker. Just yep. awesome. Uh-huh. Dude, thanks so much for everything, man. Have a great day. Of course. See you guys. Bye. See you, man.